Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. All right. Little bit of. Oh, we good? All right, perfect. I'll just bring this in. So Michelle told me that this is a juicy question. So hopefully you guys had a great time uh, just talking and getting to know and sharing experiences. <clears throat> so if you don't know me already, my name is Erwin. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here at Renew and. Um, it's a joy being here at Renew. I remember being here from essentially when we church planted and now being able to be our youth pastor. And so it's crazy to think how far we've come and you get to get, get to know a little bit about my story today. And so when I think about this question or this, uh, this topic, share a time you started something uh, and it wasn't what you expected. Well, that got bright. Um, my immediate thought is to this photo. And so uh, if you could pull the next photo. And so it's me in the airport, um, <laughs> surrounded by some old renewed people. Um, and I remember being at the airport. My family had just dropped me off. Uh, I came to be surprised that there was all these people from church uh, there to send me off. And essentially, they're sending me off to go to Asia. I was going to go be a short-term missionary for about a year. And it was one of the best moments, like, genuinely of my life. Uh, I felt like I was doing something the Lord was calling me to. I always had a heart for missions. And now I get to do a longer duration, more than a couple weeks, more than six weeks, but commit a full year. And here I have my entire, well, okay, there's a lot more people at church, but then I had these faithful few, which is more than a few, uh, that were just sending me off. And I remember just being so uh, enlightened and thankful. And I remember even coming away from that after we took the photos and I was going up this little, you're, if you guys are familiar with LAX, you go up the international, there's like an escalator and you kind of, as I was going up the escalator, I'm like turning back and like waving. And in my, hand, my mind, I'm like, I'm, I feel really optimistic. Uh, look at the people God's brought around me. Look at the situation I'm in. I'm fully supported. I have everything handled. Man, what is God going to do with my year overseas? But that's where the question comes, right? What's something you didn't expect? Well, I came in with hopeful expectations, right? If you go to the next slide. Oh, next slide. Nice. Uh, my thought of being a missionary. Now, there's a whole bunch of things 
it's a loaded question. Uh, what do you want as a missionary? That, that's a loaded question. But some of the expectations that immediately went to my mind were one, I wanted to be a polyglot. You guys know what polyglot is? And so I already have about two languages under my belt. I wanted to get to the three, the four level. And so as a missionary, especially I was in a few different countries at a time, I was like, maybe I can pick up a whole mass of languages. Now I can't tell you all the languages because, you know, just for confidentiality reasons, but Erwin can become polyglot. Then Erwin gets to see the entire world, right? And in this case, Asia, like all of Asia, different parts of Asia, and you get to make international friends. It was a joy to do that when I was in college and now I get to go to them. They're not coming to me anymore, I'm going to them. And then the best part, right, is that if you're a missionary and you go on missions and you find a nice girl and she's really cute and she's already on missions and you're like, oh, we get to do this together, you know, (laughs) how convenient, you're here, I'm here, there's no one else except us two. And so I'm thinking, hey, maybe over there I'm going to find my future wife. And once I find my wife, we're going to be the happiest couple ever. We're going to end up saying, you know what? The Lord is calling us both to stay here. And we're going to get married. We're going to have children. We're going to raise a family in Asia and become long-term missionaries. And man, that was the dream. That was all my expectations. Those were all the things I was hoping for. But things don't always go the way we expect, right? And as I spent my time and I spent my year, these are the realities that I had to face that my reality as a missionary was, I was really insecure about my language abilities. Um, even though I, I know English, I knew one, at least one mother tongue there where I was most of the time, I just couldn't say anything for the first like three months. Every time I would go out to the street, I would stutter and every word was shaky and they would just give me weird looks because I look like them, but I don't talk like them. And so I just felt even worse where they're expecting, oh, you should be a brother. And they're like, you're not from here. And they're just disappointed at who I am. I thought I would love meeting new friends and uh, getting to explore the world, but instead I just wanted to be back in America. Like I wanted a burger and fries. I wanted to speak English and not worry about like culture languages, cultural barriers and all these things. And I just wanted to be home. Uh, comfortable with my friends that I've known for years, uh, with my family, I, with my church. Like, I love Renew, and I wasn't here. And every time I saw things get posted on online, I was like, I'm not there. And then, uh, this one's a little sad. I got friend zoned. Not once, twice, right? And one of the girls, I didn't even like her, but she still friend zoned me, right? That's the worst part. I, was, I had no interest, and she still told me we're just friends. And I was like, why, why, did, I, why did we have to make this clear? <laughs> and so all my love interests are already out the door. And so if my love interest isn't there, can I be a missionary long term? Like, and I started doubting, right? I, I came in with these high expectations, these high hopes, and now I'm like, I, if I can't start a family, if I can't find a wife, can I really do this thing long-term? Can I be a missionary? I know, you're so hopeful. (laughs) You know, when I think about 
our church, when I think about even our faith of being a disciple with Jesus, it kind of works the same way, right? That there's so many things that we expect, so many expectations we have in our mind, but we're met a lot of times with the reality that it's not always so pretty. That we have these expectations that when we follow Jesus, Jesus might just give us what we want. That Jesus, all the plans that he's given in my mind, they will come true. And it seems like almost everything I do for Jesus, or everything I say I'll do, it just works out. God blesses it, God blesses the people around me, and everything is great. And already you're like, Erwin, life does not work that way. And I think that's the truth. That sometimes we have this hidden expectation or maybe this false expectation and what happens a lot is that we quickly become disappointed when we follow Jesus and he doesn't match our expectations <laughs> next question I want to ask us today what are our expectations about following Jesus when you think about following Jesus being a disciple of his what are those expectations you have in your head You know, some things that I've heard from people throughout the times says, Jesus, when I followed you, I thought I would become richer. I thought I would become wealthier, better off. But here I am, still broke and poor, in college, can't afford rent. Why did I come to school in California? <laughs> I get it. Jesus, when I followed you, I thought I'd find my dream career. You know, I thought you would call me to the right place, open the right doors, but still, here I am working at this fast food restaurant. I hate it. I don't like it. I don't know where it's going. Jesus, when I followed you, I thought you'd bring me the love of my life. But I'm still very, very single. I'm quoting the person. I know. It's okay. They don't know. They, they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, when I followed you, I thought you'd make all my struggles go away. I thought my struggles with sin would just dissipate, but here I am, years later, as an adult, still struggling with the same sin. It's been a lifetime, and I don't see an end. I think our expectations and the, the ways in which we realize Jesus sometimes doesn't meet it is a common experience for us all. You know, just about a month ago, Pastor Wilson had shared about discipleship, right? He talked about in the New Testament, this, the word disciple is used over 200 times. I think the exact count is about 267 or 62 times. And I believe that for everyone in this room that considers themselves a disciple or a follower of Jesus, this is our experience. That at some point of our life, Jesus has already or will purposely reveal that we have false expectations of him. And he's giving us this opportunity, I think, to constantly and consistently surrender more when we put those false expectations and instead we trade them for his reality. And so if you have your Bibles with me, we're in Luke 9. We finally get to pick up Luke again. Um, and I'm not going to lie, this was a hard passage for me. But I hope that as we go into Luke, that we can see one clear thing as we 
the most important thing that when we follow Jesus, that when we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, Jesus calls us to surrender. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke 9, 57 and 62, and we're introduced to three men. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. That means Jesus is on the way to the cross. And as Jesus goes, he's encountered by three specific men who teach us three specific things that we are to learn to surrender. And so, first thing, that when we follow Jesus, we surrender our comforts. Now, if you're in verse 57, it says this. As they're walking down the road, this is Jesus and his disciples, or a giant crowd of people following him. A man said to him, I will follow wherever you go. Now, I like this man. He goes up to Jesus. He doesn't care that Jesus is a rabbi. He's not shy. He goes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you. I'm your number one fan, and I'll go wherever you go. And so he's resolute. But what makes this man a little bit more interesting is exactly who is this man? He's not just any normal man. Actually, if we go into the next, uh, next slide, perfect. This man is a teacher of the law. The Matthew account tells us he's a teacher of the law. Some say that he's a scribe. But this man is technically a Pharisee. So he's the number one lawgiver. He's the number one Jew. But he's also a loyalist to the Roman Empire. And I want us to get into the expectations of this man when he approaches Jesus. Jesus I am enthusiastic and excited. I will follow you. And what is he looking at and looking for when he sees Jesus? Well, this Pharisee, this man who's loyal to the Roman Empire, even though he's Jewish, is looking for comfort. He's looking for, I, I like to call it Rome 2.0, right? That if Jesus is going to be a rabbi, the rabbi, then, hey, all the status I got from Rome that Rome said that I was their law, that I could tax people, that I could also prescribe whatever I wanted to to the population. If Jesus is the new rabbi, all his status comes with following him. Well, if Jesus is the Messiah, oh, if Rome goes down, I have Jesus. And he's going to be the new ruler of this place. So all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, oh, if Jesus is the new Messiah, they'll all be under his rule. And so that means I have all the comforts of knowing that Jesus is my king. And then, if Jesus is all these things, he's rabbi, he's king, that means all the great wealth, all the great wisdom, all the prosperity that would probably come to a great rabbi, a great king, Jesus would give that to me. That if I follow Jesus, I would gain all these things. And so it totally makes sense that this man is like resolute. He's enthusiastic to follow Jesus. But it also reveals to him his own personal interests. What does he want? Well, he wants everything that he thinks Jesus will offer him. The comfort of life, the goodness of life, the lavishness of life. But I love and I'm challenged by Jesus' response here to him. Verse 58, Jesus replied, 
Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head or lay his head. And Jesus is talking about himself, right? That the Son of Man, him, the Son of Man, has no place to lay his head. And if you plan, and he's essentially telling this man, if you plan to follow me, you too would mirror that life. That all the things you desire of comfort, you don't get that when you follow me. And that's so difficult for, I think, a lot of us here to, to listen to and to hear for ourselves. Like, is Jesus asking me to uproot everything I have right now? You know, I live in suburban Brea. Our church is in suburban Brea. There's so much good things about Brea. I love Brea. I'm a huge advocate. I say Brea or bust. You know, that's, that's, that's one of my life mottos. Jerome's like shaking his head like, come on, Erwin. <laughs> and I think we look at this and it's immediately like, oh, Jesus, am I supposed to just give up everything? Am I supposed to live in rags and, and uh, live homeless, live in a tent and just make do, go house to house asking for food? Spoiler alert, it's what the disciples end up doing. Um, and I don't think this is supposed to be a means of me telling you to uproot all that you have, but I think it is a question of how tightly do you hold on to it? Right. I remember when I first moved to Asia to do my year over there, and my first thought, and this is terrible, um, this is not how you should go do missions, but I was like, this place is a mess. <laughs> Um, I remember I always had to wear a mask because pollution was so bad. And um, I never thought I had asthma, but apparently the pollution was so bad that it actually created a reaction in my body. And so I almost always had to wear a mask uh, because <laughs> the pollution just got to me. It, it caused my lungs to close up, so it was kind of hard to breathe. It actually made me break out because I always had to wear a mask and my face kind of like broke out really bad. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so miserable. But to add fuel to the fire when it would rain, right? <sighs> like you're like, oh, maybe pollution is not as bad today. But instead, now I have to go through the, like, essentially like a water park to get to my apartment, right? Everywhere I'm stepping, my shoes are soaked. Like there's no, like, it's like, there's no, where's the drainage? And then I look at the drainage and I'm like, the drainage is flooding. Like it's, it's jammed packed with things. Nothing's really going through. And so that's why the streets are flooded. And that is why I am soaking wet. And this is just horrendous. And then when it got to summer and it gets hot, so I don't know how, if you know about like a lot of piping in Asia, they don't have an S line. I don't know if you guys know what an S line is, but essentially that means that imagine sewage, there's nothing blocking the air. So when it gets hot, air wants to go wherever it wants to go. And that means it goes up the drains and into my house. And so you would in the hot summer just smell sewage. And no amount of candles or air fresheners could like solve this problem. It was just, that's what you had to do. You just suck it up and you just make it work. But the worst thing for me that made me extremely paranoid, I know, it gets worse, right? Uh, the worst thing for me was 
I would always hear a buzzing noise at night. And it was like a, like a bee noise, like like this was all the time and it actually sometimes gave me insomnia and randomly I would wake up if I like try to get a little bit of sleep I would wake up and I find like dead bees randomly around my apartment but no matter how much I looked around my apartment I could never find like where are this is there a hive somewhere is are they coming for me like I've never been stung by a bee so I'm actually really paranoid about getting stung. I don't know if I'm allergic. So I'm just thinking like, I might die in my sleep, guys. <laughs> I know. And so, would you live in that situation? <laughs> uh, not by choice. <laughs> I, love, I love when youth get interactive. <laughs> yeah, I think most of us would not live in that situation. And if God were to ask you, hey, you're going to live in Irwin's situation. Everything he went through, you know what? I'm going to call you to the same place. I think naturally it, there's a knee-jerk reaction, right? I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can let go of these things. I like my house. I like my bed. I like having heating and AC. I like knowing that there's not a beehive right outside of my window. Uh, I can't let go of these comforts that I just feel like are so normal here. But the beautiful thing about surrendering our comforts is this, that the more we understand what it means to surrender our comforts, the more we understand a Jesus who surrendered his comfort. We understand a Jesus who left his heavenly throne, who left the greatest place in the whole world, him, the Father, the Holy Spirit, yeah. And he said, I'll be with you instead. I'll leave the comforts of heaven to be here on earth with you. And I think that's a beautiful thing to say that the God of the universe left this comfortable heavenly throne to be with us in this broken world, in this broken earth. Second, when we follow Jesus, our second point today, we surrender our plans. Verse 59, we see Jesus approach a man this time. He goes to him and he's, verse 59 says, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, this man replies to Jesus saying, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, I think this guy has a great excuse. Like, I know I'm using the word excuse, but I genuinely think it's really commendable. Let me bury my dad. Like, I'll follow you, I'll do what you say, but let me bury my dad. But I want us to actually dig a little bit deeper into this man's context and kind of his own expectations too when he says, let me go bury my father. So when we look at Jewish culture, when they say, oh, I'm going to bury my father, it's actually not just burying his father. His father and most of the commentators I read actually probably agree that his father's not dead yet. His father's actually still very alive. But one of the challenges is that if you are a good son, you don't just care about your father's death, you care about what your father does for life. And so I have to think more than just about my father dying, I have to think about what he does for life, how he provides for the family. And whatever he does, I have to take over if I know he's too old, he can't function as well, he can't do as well. And so that's what this Jewish man is alluding to. 
that I need to take care of my father's business. All the things that my father had, the trade, the work, I need to get trained in that. And then once I'm sufficient and I'm, pro- and I'm pretty much well equipped, then I'll take over the business. I'll do everything that he did. I'll prescribe to everything he prescribed to. And eventually, who knows how long passes? Who knows how long it takes to be a tradesman and then be, a, be an expert? And then after that, say, okay, after all these years of work and labor, now I'll finally follow Jesus. We don't know how long it took this man. We don't know how long it will take him. But that's the thing. That when he says, let me go and bury my father, he's saying, let me prioritize other plans before yours, Lord. And I think that's really difficult in our culture. We plan everything. For the parents, they plan when to take their kids to school. Totally get it. Don't be late. Um, we, we plan our futures. What is my kid's life going to look like? And sometimes I hear from the youth, it's like, oh, like my parents are like, kind of like telling me and asking me if they can do, if I should do this and do that. And it's like, what classes I should take? And they're overwhelmed by the plans. And I totally get it. We all are. But we're also ruled by our plans typically. And our plans end up becoming this. They become an excuse. You know, that before I can do anything for Jesus, I have to do and get all my ducks in a row. Also something I heard, Jesus, let me finish school. Let me finish high school, let me finish college, let me finish grad school. Then, once I get a job, the career that I think I want, that I think I should pursue, finally after I retire, then I'll follow you. All these plans, and then I'll follow. Or, this is another one I've heard. Or I want to find a partner. I want to get married. I want to have children. I want to wait for my children to grow up because then I'm free. Oh, actually, no, my children might have grandchildren, so I want to wait until my grandchildren are grown up. Then I'm free. And then I'll follow Jesus. The list of plans that we add just keeps growing. And instead of doing kingdom business, instead of proclaiming the kingdom of God, we're in our own business. It's about us. It's about our desire. It's about what we want. But this is also the beautiful thing about surrendering our plans to Jesus. It's a beautiful mirror of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Jesus is the son of the heavenly father and that he does the heavenly father's will perfectly. All the plans that, the, that God had for Jesus to come and do ministry, to come preach, to come save souls, to care for the marginalized, to love people, Jesus did it perfectly. God gave him a plan and he did it. And when we surrender our plans, we're saying we want to mirror this kind of Jesus and do his will, his way for our life. And lastly and thirdly today, when we follow Jesus, we surrender our relationships. 
Verse 61, he says, still another said, still another man, I will follow you, Lord. But first, and again with the first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying to this man, and I think by extension, maybe to us, that if you look back, you're not fit. He's saying to this man that if you look back to your family and you go back to them, you probably won't come back to me. The reason why is that you're going to go back to your family and what are they going to do? They're going to tell you it's a bad idea to follow Jesus. You don't know enough about him. You don't know about his background. You don't know where he's going to take you and what it's going to cost you. And there's some truth to that, right? Good family would reason you out of something that sounds like a bad idea. And then for us, it kind of works, maybe not in a family setting. I think most of us, I understand we're, probably most of us are Christian. We want our families to know Jesus. We're trying to be encouraging. But there are so, mon- so many other relationships that they'll try to talk us out of following Jesus. And I want to just caveat that this doesn't mean we're not friends with non-Christian people. 100%, we should always be friends with non-Christian people. It's, it's a calling. It's what God asks us to do to be a light. But I think there are certain relationships that get to a point that they pull us away from God. That when we desire to have a good relationship with the Lord, to pursue him with all our might, there are relationships and friends and coworkers and even boyfriends and girlfriends that tell us they're the most important thing. They'll tell us that the things that Jesus is asking of us is ridiculous. Why would you do that? And you feel shame or you feel guilty and it's like, oh, I guess this isn't normal. And instead of pursuing the Lord, being in right and good relationship with him, you find yourself being pulled by the words and the actions of another person that doesn't want any part of Jesus. And Jesus is asking, hey, don't go back there. Come forward to me. Come to me who gives you comfort. Come to me who has a good plan for you. Come to me who actually desires the best for you, wants to be in good relationship with you, wants you in eternity with him, right? Like, how often do we fathom that Jesus wants us forever? And he wants to be with us forever. When Jesus is asking us, are we willing to surrender these relationships It's not a matter of you have to drop your friends and you lose all these connections, but it's that in this, we gain the most important relationship of all, us and him, knowing him, walking with him, him seeing us struggle, but him holding our hands, and just being able to say that I have a Jesus who will do all of this life when everyone else runs, when everyone else doesn't want me, I have a Jesus that says, follow me, and he'll lead. You know, when I look at these three disciples, I think there's a really interesting thing about Luke, and this is like a weird partition from most of the way Luke writes. Luke kind of just inserts it here, this whole like following Jesus, and he just doesn't add on to it. And I think he leaves it open-ended on purpose, 
because it almost reflects our own journey of discipleship. It's the unanswered parts of our journey. What will we do when Jesus asks us to follow him? What will we do when Jesus asks us to surrender, surrender our comforts, surrender our plans, surrender our relationships to him? And our hope is both simple, but also really difficult. That when we follow Jesus, and this is our last thing for today, that when we follow Jesus, we surrender with open hands. You know, I, I know I've been talking a lot about me in Asia this today, and I remember coming back after my year, I felt like a failure. Um, I saw and I experienced kind of the, the parts of what it meant to count the cost and follow Jesus. And I think I made a conscious decision to say, I didn't want to feel the cost of it anymore. I didn't want to let go of Brea, right? It's Brea or bus. I, I, I wanted to live in an English speaking country. I wanted my future children to live in an English speaking country. Like I don't want them to have to worry about their national identity, their ethnic identity. Like I don't want that for them. Uh, and I don't want to miss any more trips. I don't want to miss any more weddings. I don't want to miss any more funerals. I don't want to see my family grow up and I don't get to be a part of it. And so I ran from it, or at least I felt like I ran from it. I, I applied for jobs. I got online interviews. Perf I love Wi-Fi. And within just a few months, uh, I got an offer letter and I left and I came back to the States. And now I'm preaching in front of you, the irony of that, right? But I remember a week after coming back, the thing that shook me, shook me to the core, I had this offer letter, a good job. It was in the coffee industry, if you know me. I, I used to be super into coffee, and it was a great position. Week coming back, I get a phone call from the company, and they're like, hey, we decided to do some restructuring. Your role actually is no longer available. And I was just like, bro, like I was supposed to sign letters tomorrow. We had scheduled for me to come in. Like we were supposed to like, I, I get all my checks, everything, do all my W-2, everything would be good. But here I am after coming back and a week later, I'm jobless. I'm living at home with mom and dad. I, like I don't know what's gonna happen next. And I remember just being like, what in the world am I supposed to do? And, and Lord, thankfully the Lord knows better than I do. But a week later, I was supposed to have a debrief. This is part of uh, the missions organization I was with. They have a debrief. And I met with my debriefer and I was kind of sharing with him all that was happening. Like right off the bat, I was like, man, like I came back, home's a, like a wreck. I thought I could like have this job. And he was beautifully gentle with me. And he asked me this simple question, what's next? And I was like, I can't think about what's next. Like, like, like I'm so stressed out, I don't have it together. What do I do? And he goes on to continue to tell me this. He says, and I, I'm trying to do my best to, pair, to quote him. He says, Erwin, 
when was the last time you were open hands with what's next? And I was just like, well, I thought I was open handed when I went on missions. I thought I had surrendered everything to God uh, and that I gave God my whole life. But here I am realizing I, had, I thought I had a call and I ran from it. I thought uh, I had a job and God said no. <laughs> and now he's asking me to just be open hands with what's next. I think when we think about surrender, surrender can seem like this huge one moment thing. But I didn't get in front of you by one giant moment of surrender. It was surrendering seminary and the feelings that would come with going to seminary. It came with surrendering authority. I would have to be an intern again and I don't get to be a boss anymore. Um, it came with surrendering I think some friendships that told me, hey, you, it's fine, just do whatever you want. And I had to say no, but I want people that push me, that spur me, that challenge me. That surrender isn't a single moment of our lives that just changes everything. But that surrender is a daily choice that we have our hands open to Jesus with all the things we have, with everything he's given us, with everything he's placed us in, and we have open hands, and we say, Lord, I want to surrender these things. Every day of my life, every moment of my life, I surrender. And so today, church, I have that simple thought that we would come and once again and daily just have a hope in hands and surrender. And as I uh, just close this in prayer, I, I just want to say, like, if there's something on your heart, maybe it was a, a comfort, maybe it's a, a relationship, maybe it's a plan that you just f understand, like, when, when Erwin said that, that just rubs me the wrong way. Just have open hands and a willingness to surrender that to the Lord. Let me pray. So church, I, I just ask you if you feel comfortable um, just to open your hands. Um, dear Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we open our hands knowing that we can't, but you can. Knowing that you are good even when we're not sure. And so Lord, we, we pray the simple prayer that whatever plans we have, whatever comforts we have, whatever relationships we have, Lord, we would put it at your feet and surrender it with open hands today. And so, Lord, would we just trust that at the end of it, our surrender, Lord, brings us more of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults 
think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.